you know, we always say, I hope we can get through uh, the show without Jim making a mistake. What was it? Eleven seconds before. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a new. It's a record. Eleven seconds. We want to welcome all of you and our sponsors, Jackpot City, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. Goldline, who brings you our guest spot called In the House, and Hearing Life, who sponsors What Are You Hearing? And we couldn't do it without our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Kevin Martin and Warren Hansen. Still with me, boys? I haven't made a mistake yet. We're good. <laughs> Very good, Jim. Beautiful so far. Here's what's on the show today. In the house, our special guest is Matt Dunstone, currently one of the highest-ranked Canadian men's teams uh, in the world. Yeah, it was like three years ago I didn't even hear of this guy, uh, and now I do. Uh, also, the European Championships concluded in Aberdeen, Scotland, this past weekend. We're going to take a look at the final results there. The Everest Canadian Curling Championships concluded at the Assiniboine Memorial Curling Club in Winnipeg last weekend. We're going to review the event and tell you all about the winners. Curling Canada made some major announcements this last week about the sites. Where is the 2025 Olympic trials and pre-trials and mixed double trials going to take place? Also, we want to talk uh, for a moment about some of the great responses we received from last week on a couple of topics. Hot Rock Topics, uh, we are gonna we got emails. The emails have been flowing in since the uh, show started, so we're going to look at that. Uh, what are you hearing? We are hearing a lot of chatter on Facebook the last couple of weeks about who televises which events, which channels it's on, how do you stream, why are some streams, some not, why isn't there more curling on television? Uh, so we're going to look at all that. Okay, we're back to take 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 eleven snap. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's, uh, we welcome Matt Dunstone. How are you, Matt? I'm doing very well, Jim. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, you were pretty honest. I said we've had you on before, Matt. I have been I have been on once before. Tell us when. I think it was an early December show back in 2021, kind of right in the middle of COVID when uh, we didn't have much to do and. Um, if I recall correctly, uh, I was doing a little house party and with, with some friends the night before and, and had a little bit of a late one and joined you, joined you early, uh, seven in the morning. And you didn't know that until now. Cause I, uh, I tried to put on a face for the show. Hey man, you want to hoot with the owls. You got to soar with the Eagles. You answered the bell. That's right. Work hard, play hard. Yeah. You know, Warren puts together the, the show all the time, uh, and produces it and, and puts the script together and, uh, the, the introduction, what he wrote for you, usually we get a, you know, a pretty big bio, but you are a fantastic story in that Warren wrote, I'll tell you what, over the last three years, the guy's become one of the top curlers in the world. And uh, how do you like that handle, this meteoric rise that you're on? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a fun little rise. I mean, lots of work has gone into that and, you know, played with a lot of great teammates and this current team we have right now I mean it's it's continuing to make strides forward and, and continuing to get better and, and we give ourselves a chance to win every single weekend we're out there against any team in the world and it's it's an awesome feeling going into an event uh, knowing you're always going to have a chance and, and really like you know where things are at right now. I hope I'm saying this the right way or asking it the right way like you're younger it must be awfully intimidating for a young team and yet obviously you are past that now you are through that when did that change, Matt, where maybe you would realize when you did walk on the ice one day going, oh, my God, we got no chance here to coming on there going, look out, boys, I'm going to take you down. Could, can you can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an easy moment for me kind of when that came, uh, you know, one one won a Grand Slam event uh, in 2019 in North Bay, Braden Muscoey and Catlin Schneider and, and Dustin Kidby. I mean, that was that was the biggest event uh, I've ever won um, up to this point, obviously the best teams in the world. Um, that was kind of an aha moment for myself and, and the rest of us, you know, um, you know, any given weekend, we can go out there and, and beat the world's best. And, and at that point, that's kind of, you know, when I personally felt like I, I definitely belonged and being able to take that confidence from there and, and continue to move forward. It's a very comfortable thing. I mean, there was no secret early on in my men's career. I mean, getting to play, I remember getting to play Jeff Stoughton, who was, you know, my childhood idol growing up, you know just scoring a point against him was like the coolest thing ever. Right. And, and now, you know, playing, playing Brad, playing Kevin, um, Nick, uh, 
all those guys you grew up watching. It's a fun feeling getting to play against them now and, and not only getting to play against them, but, you know, expecting and, and hoping to beat them now. When What did you think when you got your nickname? The Sheriff, yeah. Yeah, the Sheriff, man. That's uh, it's happy, happy it stuck. Uh, it's a good one. Um, funny little backstory uh, as to, to how it came about. Uh, it was probably seven seven years ago, I think it was at a Grand Slam in Nova Scotia um was was when i got that one and it stuck so uh yeah it's it's fun there's a new sheriff in town baby right love that <laughs> kev go ahead man well first matt thanks a lot for doing the show again um one thing that mike harris and i talk about quite a lot i don't know if you know this but it's colton lot um he's uh he's gotten really good um very consistent uh noticeably consistent I wasn't sure that I would have expected that. I knew he was good, but I didn't really expect the consistency this quickly. Well, I guess your thoughts on that, because the rest of you three are good. But he was the question mark that obviously isn't a question mark anymore. But uh, your thoughts on Colton and, and his abilities? Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of coming into, you know, the last few seasons, not obviously, you know, wasn't as well known of a name, kind of more known for doubles and whatnot. But I mean, he's, he's been with me for this entire ride. I mean, he, anything I won in juniors was, was with him and, and he played a huge role in it. I mean, I obviously knew exactly what we were getting with Colt. I mean, he's one of the best pure shot makers um, on this planet and, and everyone knows that now. And, and I'm glad that people are finally getting to see that because this is something that, that I've known and a lot of people in Manitoba have known about Colton for, you know, over a decade now most decorated junior Manitoba curler there is. He's, he's, he's a real killer out there and, and he's established himself as one of the best seconds in the world. And to, to watch him go out and, and do what he does um, as consistently as, as he does and, and the shots that he makes, uh, you know, a lot of people can't pull off and, and he does it on a consistent basis. So just to see him grow, you know, into the front, front end player that he's become because he's, he's played third his whole life. To, to see him grow and take on that role and, and embrace that role. Um, it's been a, it's been a special year and a half watching him grow into that. And, and it's, it's really worked out uh, for, for him and, and all of us. Yeah. For all of you, for sure. Hey, one thing before I bring Warren in, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Karik had mentioned to me that Matt really has done a lot of studying on, on how you get points in the world of curling right now. How do you qualify for all these various events? What are the events worth and, and that, I guess that whole structure, I hear some rumblings, not everybody's totally happy with the point system. Um, I guess I'd like to hear from you being the, I guess, according to the players, kind of the study of that, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a, a portion of players that, you know, take a little bit of, uh, or look a little more in depth to, you know, the points and how it goes about. And, and the system itself is awfully confusing. I mean, it's, it's not nothing like tennis where, you know, you have your series 1000 and, and down the line and, and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of math involved in our point system. And there's been been some changes to the point system, some of which started this year, some of which last year. So there's been some tweaking going on. You know, the, the entire foundation of the point system is based on what your world rank is um, in that event. And from there, there's a formula that's built that creates this strength of field multiplier is what it's called. And, and for your average tour event, that ranges from one to seven. For the slams, it's 10, um, and then Europeans, Briar, Pan Continentals all sort of fluctuate dependent on that field, and then the world's obviously the highest. So um, basically, it's just a formula. It, it takes your world rankings, you know, throws it all together in, into this formula, and then from there, you get your, your strength of field multiplier, and then based on how you finish in the event, you get a number with that, and it, and it multiplies into how many points you actually get. Um, so one, one of the changes that was made this year relates to, you know, existing events, events that have been around for more than a year. Um, and so this year, those events will have a set strength of field. So what is meant by that? So let's say, um, last year, an event was a five strength of field based on this year's rules. It can go up depending on who's in the field, but it can never go lower than a four, regardless of who is in the event, as long as it qualifies for the same event. So with this, you have scenarios where, you know, maybe the field last year was quite strong. A lot of the top teams in the world were there. And this year, just from a timing standpoint, because a lot of it scheduling depends on when the slams are, when the big events are and, and whether or not big teams can make it or whatnot. So even if, if those teams don't come back this following year, what they brought to the table last year in regards to the strength of field is still somewhat applied to 
what the points are today. And, and from that, we're seeing teams with, you know, an inflated points based on that inflated um, strength of field. Um, it just, it's not a true strength of field like it once was um, prior to this year. So why is that, Matt? What, 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 would, what would cause that change to be made? It doesn't really make much sense, does it? The reasoning behind it was for teams to be able to schedule their events a lot better, kind of knowingly go into events, understanding what that strength of field was going to be um, or what it could fluctuate to be. Because um, like I said, it could never go lower than, than one full point. Um, so I, I think it was very well-intentioned because really what differentiates us from, from other sports is we don't know you know, what sort of points we're going to be getting going into stuff. So I understand the reasoning behind it. But again, to, to create a hybrid system that has a foundation built on what your world rank is and, and what multiplier you're going to bring to the strength of field, it's just not a very cohesive fit. Um, and, and now we're, we're seeing you know, teams who are, who are playing in these events getting a lot more points um, than they should because of it. One thing that is really important to me um, all of t- the time when it comes to decisions uh, that, that impact players um, is there a current top player on the committee that decides this type of thing? Or is there connection to the Players Association that decides this thing? I, I would say the closest connection we have to this right now is, is Benoit Schwartz um, with the Athletes Commission on the WCF. Obviously, the, the WCF now owns the points and they have their points committee. Um, Benoit would, would be the biggest name, um, you know, closest to, to this points committee. Um, and you know, Benoit's great. I have talked to him many times. Um, he's, he's really smart, really gets it. Awesome. Awesome to speak with. And, and like I said, I, I think this one change, I mean, intentions were right. There's another change I'd like to see too, if you want to dive into that as well, but, uh, there, there is an alleyway and it's just, it's slowly getting more and more established and something that we're continuing to work on. Um, just to, to create more of that open conversation and, and have some of the players have that alleyway to, to you know, have this conversation and, and bring up concerns and um, hopefully fix it. Well, what, what was the other concern? What was the other change you'd like to make? I was waiting for that follow-up question. So, <laughs> you, you know, I, I do think there's a bit of a flaw within the formula itself and, and how, we're, um, how we're calculating, um, you know, what, what rank you are and, and what formula you actually bring to the table. Um, just as an example here, uh, we had, we had an event, I think it was in October. Um, so the strength of field was a five. So if you win, if you win a five, the points you get are seven and a half times five, which I believe is 42 and a half. Like off, off the top of my head, it's in and around that, whatever it might be. Right. Um, and that event had zero teams in the top 10 in the world and only one team in the top 20 in the world. And if we look at a different event, um, its strength of field was a 4.0. So if you win that event, you get 30 points, which had three top 10 teams in the world and four top 20 total teams in the world. So without looking at numbers, I, I, would, I, would, I would ask you guys to tell me which event you'd think would be harder to win. Right. Of, of course. Of course. Now, that's a good point. Right. There's a little bit of a disconnect there. I mean... If you're playing an event where you don't have to play a single top 10 team in the world, I have a hard time believing that you should ever get more points than, than another event that has three of the top 10 teams in the world in it. Um, my opinion, one's, one's drastically harder than the other. And, and right now we have a bit of a formula flaw where, where that's not the case. Um, so that's, that's another thing I think we need to look at as well. Really interesting. Warren, go ahead. Great. Thanks, Matt, for joining us. Uh, let's stay on that topic for a minute. So we've been talking about the world ranking system, which is important from the point of view of who goes to Grand Slams. But uh, also, I think more importantly to you as a Canadian, the Canadian team ranking system, because that's going to determine who's going to get the uh, more or less the buy to the briar. How are the two connected? How does one relate to the other? And, and uh, tell us about how it all works. Yeah, I mean, the, the two systems are the exact same. The CTRS ranking just piggybacks off of the world rankings. Truly, if, if they wanted, Canada could count certain events that, you know, the world curling rankings don't. Um, 
but realistically they're they're pretty much the exact same they they just piggyback off one another and and like you said this is why the, the points themselves are so important and so important to get right um the the integrity of the point system itself so so much weighs on this um on top of briar qualification slam qualification europeans world qualification funding national team program like all of that stuff relies on the points ranking so um you know when we have minor flaws like this and and you know extra points get handed out um to to strengths of fields that are weaker than what they actually are um you know you you run into some tricky situations down the road a, a lot of our, our i don't want to say our livelihoods but a lot of the things that we strive for um you know as a team and um as as all all world teams do i mean a lot of it relies on this on this point system it's, uh, it's something that we, I, I think we have to continue to look at, continue to tweak and, and make sure that, you know, the way we do our system is, is airtight and, and it's the, the numbers are just something that we have to get right. So who do you think should be involved in doing all this that maybe isn't now? How should this proceed going forward from your point of view? Just having a clear direction on, you know, where we can go. How do we set up meetings with um, you know, that points committee and, and the proper way of, of going about listing concerns and, and presenting, you know, changes that, that we believe that should happen and why. And, and you know, just to, we need that open dialogue. I mean, the, the players are the ones experiencing this firsthand, um, getting, getting a look weekend by weekend, you know, kind of what's happening and paying attention to it. And, um, you know, that, that almighty points chase that, that we all talk about, um, that's, that's obviously very important. So, um, just, just creating a system, um, that we all know where we need to go, um, collectively to, to, you know, talk to the right people to, you know, list, list concerns and, and have open dialogue and, and hopefully make some positive change. So let's shift gears just a bit and talk about tiebreakers. Tiebreakers have been in the news this week. So the Grand Slam did the first event of the year. There was no tiebreakers. People advanced totally on the basis of uh, of draw the button or draw shot challenge. And uh, there were some concerns about that. It seems it's been changed for your for your next Slam event. What's your uh, thoughts about all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's just something, you know, we had to have back. I mean, there's if, if we're going to stick a little bit on the topic of points, I mean, there's so many points in the Grand Slam events because they're the hardest events in the world. And, um, you know, you have some teams going two and two um, and, and getting 7.5 points. And you have some teams going two and three and losing a quarterfinal and getting 30 points. Right. And and, you know, as players, all we all we can ever ask for is just to play, play for it. I mean, we can all live and die with with losing a game or or winning a game. It's just when you feel like it's a little bit out of your control. Um, I, I understand that, you know, the world's in the briar um, Europeans, all those events are, are going towards a last a last shot draw um, for the tiebreaker, but those are totally different. Those are 12, 13 game events um, to, to even bring that into play. Like you have to lose five, six games before that's even in consideration. And, and you know, the grand slam of curling, we, we play four games. So, I mean, it's, it's such a smaller sample size. So um, for, for that change to be coming back to the grand slam of curling, I know is something that, that every player is, is very happy about. So let me uh, make a comment on that because I'm assuming this, and Kevin can jump in here if I'm wrong, but looking at what's been scheduled, they have scheduled one round of tiebreakers, I think at 7 a.m. in the morning, which uh, I'm deciphering from that means if there's two or three teams, if there's three teams tied for that spot, you're still going to rank one in by the draw shot challenge and the two will play. Is my assumption correct? And does is that work better for you? Like that that way? That your assumption is correct. That that is how it would work. And that, but that is the way it's always been um, with the Grand Slams. It's always been. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Recently, it's been one round of, of tiebreakers. In past years, year years, there's been um, teams getting eliminated on the last stone draw. Um, so, I mean, if if there was more time, more more sheets, more everything. Um, then, then maybe we'd be able to go through a couple rounds. Um, but you know, there's so many different parts, you know, in these events, uh, between host committees, TV, everything to do with sports and it, obviously, you know, it, it, it has to work for everybody. So uh, I think just having, having this one round back for now is, you know, a, a very positive, uh, switch back. Like I said, I know, I know a lot of the players are very happy about it. So do you like this form of playoff overall that they're using now with the, uh, 
the sections and playing teams in another group other than your own? I'm personally not a fan of it. It's a fairly unconventional way of of going about a round robin and and you know just the way it's it's set up a little bit. Um, you know, depending on what you, your rank really doesn't matter going into it anymore, um, or or matter nearly as much. I mean, the, the higher rank team always gets to pick rocks or practice choice kind of before the game, but but that's it because I mean we we have you know the one seed and the sixteen seed they have the exact same schedule and you know there's really no sort of quote-unquote advantage for you know the higher seed given that they have the same strength of schedule and and you know any sport has always operated the higher seed you are you know the I don't want to say easier path because the grand slams are far from easy um but you're always playing the lower seeds sort of kind of getting into the playoffs there so it's it's a little bit unconventional but yeah it's it's just difficult with the, with the format when you have four pools of four 16 teams I mean you can't have a three-game round robin either so um, it's, it's a tricky situation given the amount of teams and, and just the overall format. And the time, a good topic for another, another show, Kevin. Well, what do you mean, Matt? Do you mean there's, there, there's nobody that has the old bear draw anymore? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I heard about that one, <laughs> but, uh, yes, that is, um, that is for sure. Non-existent, uh, in the, in the last handful of grand slams, <laughs> I, I can understand why you would like that draw, Kevin. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind the, the idea of, of playing in a different pool, but you're right, Matt, it's unconventional. Like nobody's ever heard of it before, but it seems reasonably fair. And the reason I say that is it doesn't seem to matter what the situation is as far as the structure of the event, be it a triple knockout or three pools of five or three pools of, of six for 18 teams or you name it, about 70% of the time, the top teams qualify. And it doesn't seem to matter which uh, system we use. Correct. And I, I think I think as tiebreakers come back, I mean, it's that part of it's going to matter less. But, I mean, you look at Brad Gushu, you know, to last slam, right? I mean, he's qualified in 25, 26, 27 straight, whatever it was. Um, and, you know, if, if he was in a tiebreaker game there, I, I like his chances of, of winning that game. Um, and that's just something we didn't have. So, I mean, that number, that number was bound to come down, um, as we continue forward here. I mean, the, the slams are so difficult and, um, with that format, I mean, you have the top eight seeds are playing each other twice, um, throughout the, in, the entire round Robin, right? So you have these top eight seeds beating up on each other. You're bound to have more two and two teams. Um, and, and when there's no tiebreakers, you're bound to have a lot of, a lot more of your top teams to be out. If, if they don't have the chance to play off for that in a tiebreaker. Um, so I, I think we'll see that number kind of stick to, to where, where it was with that 70% there. But I feel like if we had continued with, with the no tiebreakers moving forward, um, that number, that number was going to have to drop. And I feel very confident in saying that. Matt, let's get a little personal here. Okay. Yeah. Let's have some fun, Jimmy. Let's have some fun, brother. Yeah. Where, where did it all start for you? First of all, Matt, you're only 28 years old. Uh, your your tops in the world. Was it always going to be curling? And 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 if it was, when and where was the turning point? Yeah, it uh, it was definitely always going to be curling. I uh, grew up watching my dad. Um, my grandparents curled nonstop. Um, my mom coached me growing growing up while my dad was curling. Uh, it just totally runs in our family. And, you know, I remember being three, four years old throwing these wooden curling stones on the kitchen floor, and and I've probably skated less than five times in my entire life. I, I did one hockey lesson and I laid on the ice and cried the entire time. No way. So, so, uh, that's, that's when my parents knew that they weren't going to retire early. Cause I wasn't playing in the NHL. <laughs> uh, so, so we, uh, we ran with the curling direction and it, it's always been, always been curling for me. It's loved it, loved it right from the get go. Um, still love it. Um, love getting to travel to all, all the different places that we get to play. And, and, you know, obviously competing is the, the best part and, and going out and getting to play big games and, and winning and losing big games. I mean, it's such a lucky feeling um, that we get to have to, to play in those bright lights and, and those big moments. And, and that's the part that'll never get old for me. Yeah. One of the great things about sport is when the, when younger people come along at a high level, you've handled that uh, very well. Uh, good for you. We often talk about it on the show, you know, where the, where's the game going? There needs to be some tweaks and, and certainly that point system and, and playoffs and all that has been part of it. As you did come along in curling, was it the Howards, the Gooshoes, the Jacobs, the Cooies? 
did you lean on some of those guys, uh, Matt? Because you're you're not a shy guy. Did did you ever pick up the phone, call these guys, or or talk to them, or have coffee, saying, "What do I? What can I expect, man? When I'm I'm coming into this world of peak performance curling." Yeah, I mean, growing up in Manitoba, pretty fortunate to to practice beside you know a lot of the the big the big heavy hitters in our sport. Obviously, Jeff uh, Mike McEwen at the time was. Um, one, one of, if not the best team in the world, kind of in the late 2000s, uh, early 2010s. And, um, you know, just getting to practice beside those guys all the time and, and watching how they do things um, I was was great. And I, I, Reed Carruthers was, was definitely a guy that, um, you know, was very open to, to talking with me. I, I remember we played a Canadian junior final in 2013 in Fort McMurray and, you know, an hour, 20 minutes before the game started, I was sitting behind the sheet and then I was talking to Reed on the phone. Um, Reed was playing with Jeff at the time and, and it was, it was my first time playing on TSN and, you know, just, just for Reed to, you know, answer the phone and, and just, you know, give any sort of advice he could um, in that moment was, was obviously something that's very cool and, and something that's, you know, certainly helped fast track, uh, you know, progression as we go here and, and Reed, Reed was definitely somebody who was, was always willing, um, you know, to, to talk and, and do and offer up any sort of advice he could, um, for me moving forward as, as I continued on, um, into the men's game. He, he offers me a little bit less now, now that we compete against each other. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> uh, in, in juniors, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. He was somebody that I, I talked to him quite often. You must be a fan of the underdog. You're wearing a Chicago Bears hat. All the sport teams that I cheer for, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Miami Marlins fan in baseball. Oh, yikes. Chicago, I know, Chicago, bear with me, Jimmy. <laughs> Chicago Bears fan in football. Um, I was hoping we were going to continue the tank uh, against Minnesota, but for whatever reason, we decided to win a 12-10 game. Right. Um, so it's uh, it's tough sledding in the sports world for me right now, but... Uh, <laughs> You know what? I, I I stick with them, and and hopefully uh, hopefully the day that that the Bears or the Marlins decide to win a championship again, uh, will will feel pretty sweet. But uh, definitely take my lumps uh, for the last twenty years here. You might be eighty by the time those guys win a championship. So uh, Matt Dunstone has been our guest. Uh, Matt, this is fantastic. My the uh, cur- curling is obviously going to be a in a great place with having you along for the ride. Well done. Congratulations on a great career so far. And best of luck the rest of the year, Matt. Thanks, Jim. Go Bears. Go Bears. Well, not first round pick. Not this year. Okay. Go Bears next year. <laughs> next year. <okay. laughs> yeah. See you later, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Uh, thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Okay, here we go. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Jackpot City. Jackpot City, casino games, perfectly made for you. Uh, Kev, bring us up to date. The European Championships ended last week in Aberdeen. Well, I'll tell you what, Jimmy. It was an absolute shocker what happened in Aberdeen. <laughs> was it? The final four of the men. Let's start in the men. I usually start in the women's side. Let's start in the men's side for a change. Uh, we've got the four... Now, if you were to pick uh, uh, in Europe, I would imagine you would pick these four. Bruce Mowat. Yes. Jonik Schroller. For sure. Joel Retornaz. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Sedin. 100%. That's your final four. Now, one person that, you know, uh, maybe Magnus uh, Ramsfell could have snuck in there maybe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that is such a tough four that it's just, it's just so difficult. But anyway, in, in the end, that was your final four. Uh, Bruce Mowat played uh, Schroller. And won seven four in a fairly good game, a really good game on the other side. Retorna is playing Nicodine. Uh, Nicodine snuck it out seven six, which put uh, Mowat and Nadine in the final. Bruce Mowat six five, really tight game, right down to the wire, um, edged out Nick. So Nick came in second, and Joel Retorna is actually an extra end game against uh, Yannick Schwaller for the bronze and Schwaller. One actually, mm-hmm. Retornaz, I believe, was one down going home with Hammer. Uh, could only get one and then uh, lost in the extra end to, to Yannick Schroller. So, not a lot of surprises on the men's side, but would have been awesome games. Mm-hmm. And on the women's side, you know what? We just keep talking about uh, Team Italy, not just not just Retornaz, mm-hmm. but on the women's side too. Uh, Constantini from Italy playing against Sweden in the semifinal, and on the other side, you got uh, Terenzoni, of course, Switzerland 
playing against Aurorvik, Marianne Rorvik, actually, out of Norway. So that was good to see her in the semis. Uh, Constantini beat Verano 11-2 in the one semifinal. Terenzoni wins the other semi 8-3, so not, not tight games there. Um, but the final was a really good game. 6-5, Terenzoni beats Constantini, but a really good game. So Terenzoni, Silvana, and their Swiss foursome getting first place. Constantini, Stefania getting the silver. And then Rorvik actually uh, won 10-3 over Verano in the bronze game. Started, Jimmy, steal two, steal two, steal four oh. <laughs> in the bronze game. <laughs> so it ended up... So it ended up 10-3, so congratulations to all those guys. And it would have been just a fantastic event. You know, the Europeans, really deep fields, especially on the women's side. Right. Men's side is pretty predictable right now with your your top five being so good. But, but the, the women's like, I guess, at the Grand Slams and curling worldwide, it's it's a deep field and fantastic. What's uh, You've probably, you've curled over there, Kev. Uh, we've talked the last few weeks how, how good the attendance was uh, down in the Maritimes and, and other events. Uh, if you go to a if you go to a draw in Scotland, do the do the fans show up in droves? No, actually, this event. Um, Warren can correct me if I'm wrong, but this event was played in an arena uh, or in a curling rink in Aberdeen, so there wouldn't have been very much seating um, available for for people to be able to to come in the building and watch. You know, which was kind of the fact in Kelowna as well for the Pan Continental being cl- played in a curling club. Go ahead, Warren. Europeans has never uh, drawn. Big crowds. But anyway, let's talk about the main purpose of this event. Yes, it's the European Championship, but it's also to qualify eight men's teams and eight women's teams for the World Championships next spring. So on the men's side, the eight teams that went through, Scotland, Sweden, Switzerland, Italy, Norway, Germany, Netherlands, and Czechia. Ninth and tenth teams get relegated to the B division, and on the men's side, it'll be Turkey and Finland. Over in the women's side, the countries that will be into the World Women's Championship, Switzerland, Italy, Norway, Sweden, Scotland, Estonia, Denmark, and Turkey. And the ones finishing ninth and 10th, it'll be relegated, Czechia and Germany. But let's look at the B division as well, because this was being played at the same time, not in Aberdeen, but uh, down the road or up the road in Perth. Um, we'll first talk about the men's division. Uh, England actually finished in first, and Austria was second. So those two teams will be going up into the A division when the World Men's Championship happens in Switzerland next April. On the bottom side, and there's 16 teams in the men's division, Portugal and Liechtenstein are going to be dropped into the European Championship C division, which is played in the spring. On the women's side in the B division, top of the rung was Hungary winning that side. Hungary and Lithuania will move up into the A division for the Women's Worlds in Sydney, Nova Scotia next uh, March. And the two teams in the bottom, there were 10 teams in the women's division, Belgium and Slovakia will drop into the C championship next spring. So that's how that all settled out. Some countries you haven't heard of. Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein, yes, <laughs> exactly. In curling and country in Liechtenstein. Yeah. Let's move along before I take the whole show off the rails. Uh, the Canadian Curling Club Championships were finished uh, this last week in uh, Winnipeg at the Assiniboine Curling Club. Uh, Warren, you're still on. Okay, so let's first look at the men's division in the Everest Curling Club Championship. Men's winner, Alberta's Dan Sherrod from the Beaumont Curling Club won the men's division, and he went through undefeated. It was the third time for Dan to win that event. Previously, he'd won the curling club title in 2012 at Toronto and 2013 in Thunder Bay. Third, Brandon Clausen and lead Kyle Reynolds were also part of the 2012 and 2013 championships, while second, Sean Donnelly, won the title for the first time. In the final, Alberta defeated Saskatchewan's Mitch Citron 7-2. On the women's side... Team from Oromocto, New Brunswick, Abby Burgess, took home the gold medal, and it was the second consecutive year for her to win, along with third Tracy Brooks, second Samantha Cook, and lead Hannah Williams rounded out the team. In the final, New Brunswick defeated Ontario 8-7. The Curling Club Championship, meant to be for curlers at the club level, 
uh, has a lot of rules. I guess the two main ones are all five players or four players must be members in good standing of the same curling club. And you cannot have played at the provincial level in the past three seasons in the Scotties, Briar, U18, U21 trials, pre-trials, or wheelchair. And I might add that that varies by province as to how your finish was at any of those events, whether you're eligible to play in the Curling Club Championship, and it's quite a range from nobody, they don't care, to you have to finish lower than number eight. Another interesting announcement for this event just today, that the United States Curling Association announced that there's going to be a North America a North America Curling Club Championship held that's going to feature the winner of Canada and the winner of the USA. It's going to be sponsored as well by Everest. And I thought the interesting thing in this announcement was this is going to be televised on CBS, which uh, is quite a step up for for curling in the U.S. The only thing that concerns me, uh, this is a curling club championship. It's not the main men's and women's. And it's not probably of the caliber that we'd probably like to see, but it should be a, a good opportunity to push things up in USA. Mm-hmm. Kev, uh, this this sounds to me like it's uh, you win your club championship at your golf course, and then they take every member and you and you go compete against each other, every every guy, every club champion from every course. Yes, that's the idea. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a club champion type thing. It's not your top level player but dan sherrard actually is a very good player from alberta mm-hmm. um and his team are very strong uh, they would actually do pretty well on the tour if they if they were to do that but that's not what they wish to do mm-hmm. but they're good enough to do that i would think but anyway um but yeah you know it'd be a really fun event wouldn't it jimmy to be able to so you win your club yeah. you're with your buddies like you know like like dan sherrard's team like you're with your best friends and you go out and you curl and you go and play a northern american championship somewhere and you're on cbs sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> you know you know for you know for a club curler sure. right kind of you know you're you're a four or five handicap in golf or something yep. you're you're a good good golfer but not a pro and that that's terrific i i think it'd be a really really fun thing there's got to be a few stories uh martin of uh you know how you told stories about guys kind of showing up a little hungover at the elite level uh, I can't imagine how the Canadian club championships are going to go with guys. I'm here for a laugh, not a long time, you know. Uh, there must be, We should get someone on one day to talk about it. Uh, very good. Well, good luck to everyone there. Uh, Curling Canada, Warren, announced a number of things this past week about the 2025 Olympic trials and where everything's going to take place. Give us the scoop. Well, this is a big announcement because it's all going to take place in Nova Scotia. <clears throat> Starting with the Canadian Mixed Doubles Trials, it'll be held in Liverpool, December 30th to January 4th, 2025. So roughly a little over a year from now. There'll be 16 teams involved, two pools of eight. Top three from each pool will advance to the playoffs. It's a similar format that Curling Canada has indicated they will use for the Briar and Scotties until the end of this quadrennial in 2026. Then they announced that the pre-trials is going to be held in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, at the Andrew McCain Arena, and that'll be October 21st to 26th, 2025. There'll be eight teams involved. A round robin will be held. Three teams will advance to the playoffs, and this is going to be different. The final will be a best of three, and only the winner will advance to the trials. Just one team will go to the trials. And then the big one, the trials, is going to be held in Halifax, Scotiabank Centre, November 22nd to 30th, 2025. And there will be eight teams there as well. Without getting into details, it'll be the Briar Scotties winners from 2024 and 2025. And from this point, I think the other teams involved will all be through rankings, along with the eighth place spot being filled by the pre-trials winner. Same playoff as the pre-trials with the top eight going into a round robin, three teams qualifying, and again, for the first time ever, this will also be a best-of-three final. So what do you think of all that, Kevin? Particularly that best-of-three final is kind of interesting. It is. It is. That's a tough one from a broadcast perspective because you don't know if that third game is going to yes. happen or not. So that that makes it tough from that side of things. Halifax, of course, uh, well, not just Halifax, but Nova Scotia generally will put on a really good show. Um, there must be quite, uh, Warren, there must be quite involvement through the government, I imagine, um, to, to be able to put all these events on. I'm just, I, I don't know that. I'm just thinking, you know, that that's a lot of activity 
in one small area of the country. It just kind of, I just kind of all of a sudden think there's probably some, some government money coming in there. A little bird told me there's a fair amount of money coming forward to Girl in Canada from the, uh, I won't be necessarily the province, probably tourism. A lot of the funding put up for these events today are coming from the hotel tax. And uh, that has created a whole new playing field as far as bidding for events in Canada of any kind of concern has been the hotel tax, which that's what it's being used for. Did a bunch of people bid on this, Warren? Do you know? Like, what about my Calgary? Yes. What about my Edmonton? What about my Regina? I believe there were about five cities bid on it. And uh, from what I've heard, all put in a very substantial bid, but this was the uh, obviously the best one. Right. Hey, Warren, would you rather win a world championship or an Olympics trial? An Olympics, of course, Jim. That's uh, that's the pinnacle. Everyone would pref- prefer the Olympic to, to a world. Okay. Uh, would you rather win the world or would you rather just have the right to represent Canada in the Olympics? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Where are we going here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I was wondering. I, I, I think that's very individual as far as how people feel about the, the value of things. So. I think to get to the Olympics uh, is once every four years, it's a much tougher road to climb, hill to climb, than to get to a world championship without question. What about you, Kev? Uh, yeah, well, um, I, I always loved the Olympic Games, Jimmy. Um, and I still do. Mm-hmm. You know, having the opportunity to broadcast the last three of them, um, I, I, I still absolutely love the Olympics. I always have. I said it right after 1992 in Elberville. I was hooked, <laughs> and I'm still hooked. So, yeah, pretty easy answer for me. I just, I just love the Olympic Games. The Maritimes, saturated with big events. Oh, good for them. They'll, put, they'll do a good job of hosting, Jimmy. They'll, it'll be a lot of fun, Hatch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No doubt. Because yeah, no. remember, Jim, it's a sure thing. Here in Halifax, <laughs> it's a sure thing. We're going to party in the patch. I may have to make a comeback, man. I may have to get down there. Uh, I'll come out with my walker. Remember me from the prior patch. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Hey, Warren, a bunch of talk. Uh, we brought up stick curling. I think, uh, is it churling? Is that the other one? Curling and st- curling, churling, stick curling, and uh, all sorts of stuff. And, and what about the curling clubs? We were talking about that last week, about good ones, bad ones. What's the update? Well, I just thought I would bring to our listeners' attention that the two... Uh postings we put out last week, uh, one on stick curling and the other one on the interview from Toronto Curling Club. Um, the numbers the people that uh, went in and paid attention to that were enormous. And uh, so we want to thank you for that. And we'd like to suggest to curling clubs out there, if you've got a good or a bad story to tell us, send us an email. We'd really like to hear from you. And uh, maybe if your story is good enough, we'll, uh, we'll have you on the air as well. But uh, great response to those two items last week. Whipping along Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, the UTVs, the ZTRs, and compact construction equipment to do it all. Coyote, we dig dirt. Time to get to some emails, which we love, insidecurling at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Hey, Jim, you're right. Why don't we just end it there and leave the show? That's perfect, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the header for the email, I, I think this, uh, I think this young guy, assuming he's young, said to say hi to me. Isn't that, they kind of felt sorry for me. Everybody does. No one ever gets a hold of me about uh, curling strategy. That's for sure. I never, I never hear from anyone. Question. When I started curling competitively a few years ago, uh, for our first jerseys, we picked numbers. And I remember when one of the slams came to Kelowna, all team jerseys had numbers on them. For each player. Was it required at the time? And what happened? Why are they gone now? Love the show, says Cameron. Keep it up. Uh, Kev, do you remember any of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, For many years, it was quite a few years we wore numbers, actually. Uh, 
Um, I had number four for, for on my jersey um, for years. It was kind of an idea from a marketing standpoint when you're when you're selling merchandise, be able to have a, a number. Another reason too, we had so much more uh, at the start of, I guess, having more and more teams coming from all over the world, um, and to be able to distinguish each player by a number on the back rather than you know a, a name that may be written in a different language, right? And so that's kind of where that came from. Um, when did it start exactly? That's really a good one. Uh, but many years ago, and then it just, uh, yeah, I guess it just, it, it, it didn't work the way the players had anticipated it might. So it sort of went away, but we wore numbers for quite a while, actually. And I'm not sure if it was a, if it was a positive or a negative, really. I, I didn't mind wearing a number. It seemed to make a little bit of sense to me um, from a marketing standpoint, but um, I don't think it matters uh, drastically that the players don't wear numbers now, but there's probably uh, eight to 10 years in there where people were wearing numbers, oh. which kind of neat. I kind of get it with a hockey team or a football team where there's 25 guys. But curling, I'm not sure if I need a number. I can tell who they are. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I, So I'm not sure if it was a negative or a positive. Right. Was, it, was it kind of a cool idea? Yeah, and it was accepted pretty much game-wide for a while, but then it sort of... I guess was deemed not necessary in the end, Jim, but it was kind of a decision. Yeah, do we need one as right. a four-person team or not? That was kind of the call, right? right? Warren, what number would you pick if you had to wear a number? You got a favorite? 28. Why? That was my football number. How about you, Kev? What would your favorite number be? Well, I, I wore four. Yeah, I wore always wore four. Bobby or Kevin Lowe, bunch of fours out there. <laughs> a bunch of really good fours. Bunch of <laughs> really you, good fours, yeah. <laughs> and what number would you wear, Jim? I'd wear 98 and a half. That's a <laughs> <laughs> as close as to the great one you close can get. Close as I can, and underneath, yeah. Um, okay, good stuff. Uh, Kev, you're still on. You gotta. We need a response. I would love to know, our second email from Carrie. I'd love to know more about the business side of curling, how sponsorships work, how teams manage and navigate that, the role of social media, et cetera. I follow lots of curlers and teams on social media. Does it help when I like their posts? I tried to do the quote-unquote like uh, of any sponsor post so that it can be known that their posts are being seen. And, of course, I try to buy from any business who supports curling. Does it make a difference? First of all, Carrie, way to go. Buying from sponsors. It's a sponsor's dream come true to hear that email right there. Uh, Kev, give us a Cole's notes of how all that works. Yeah, so let's answer that question, too, uh, for Carrie. Uh, yes, it matters if the curling fans support the sponsors that support the curlers and the curling events. It absolutely matters. Yes, you're not you're not wasting your time by supporting our, our great sponsors. And sponsors that listen to this show are going to love that you said that. And that's one thing about curling fans. I, I they are very loyal to the to the companies that support not just the events but the teams as well and the athletes. Um, if 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 you support curling the fans will support you. And that's pretty sport wide, which is kind of neat. Not all, not all uh, sports and activities will, will do that. The business of curling, what a huge um, topic, but let's start with the brand. I guess that's, that's the first thing that a, a curling team needs to build is their, their particular brand. And then therefore by building their brand, they can, I guess, combine or join with other brands corporate brands to be able to pay for your expenses and, and uh, living while you're trying to compete in, in a given sport. So that's kind of what, what needs to happen. Now, how do we do that? Well, you know, teams get start to win and, and, uh, and they go out and, and hire an agency to, to sell their sponsorships. I sort of took a different approach that way. Rather than hire an agency first, I actually hired a PR person first. Uh, Lorraine Cortero is actually who it was. And, and uh, um, I, I always thought that we needed to build the brand before we tried to sell the brand, where a lot of people end up winning some stuff. Before they build the brand, they try to sell the brand, and there's nothing to sell, and this gets a bit frustrating for them. So they end up not... I guess, going down the path as far as they probably should. Um, so that's what we did first. We actually hired the, the PR people first in 1998, actually, is when I hired uh, Lorraine. And then, um, and she still works with me today, actually, some. Um, and then in 2001, we hired our first agency to sell the sponsorship. So that's kind of how it worked for our team. And I, I believe that's still a very practical 
way to to go about it even today now obviously the way to sell your sponsorships have changed you know when we were going strong it was a lot of television uh shows print media uh, radio and and with the amount of minutes that we would get our sponsorship on air in the newspapers on radio they were worth a certain amount of money per minute and lorraine would do a monthly statement to all of our sponsors as to an actual ad value for that month. So Meridian uh, Manufacturing is one of our big sponsors back in the day. They would get a report that would say this amount of money was what we, uh, in ad revenue, that you know we made for you this month. And every month they would get that that update. So after the year, they can have their board meeting and then go, this Martin sponsorship is worth it. Well, here are the numbers. Bum, 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 and then renegotiate the contract because it maybe went really, really well or maybe not as well. Right. Sorry, sorry. give me that again, Kev. So Meridian sponsors your team and then you're reporting back to them what? With the value. A monthly statement, a monthly value of how much, you know, if, if you do a really popular show uh, like a Canada AM back in the day and you'd be on there with your sponsors, like with your logo oh, and your see. uniform. Okay. It's worth a lot of money because it depends on the ratings of that particular right. show. Okay. Okay. Right. And so now, now modern day, of course, it's more, you've got three different types of media. You've got social media, you've got broadcast media, and you've got print media. Well, social media is obviously becoming very, very strong, yeah. but it's still a matter of how many followers, you know, how much your brand awareness can draw mm-hmm. into the marketplace. It, it, it doesn't really matter, I guess, as to if it's print. Mm-hmm. Uh, broadcast and radio if it's social media it's a matter of you know how much clout do you have and i guess the first thing you want to do is make sure you, you win a lot right. <laughs> because right. yeah. if, you, if you win a lot then you end up being the team that's going to be shown more during the broadcast which still matters right. a great deal to sponsors and therefore because you're seen more when you do something on social media more people will follow you more people will like you and right. more people will see the advertisements of your sponsors and and start following your sponsors as well so there's there's all of that but you know and besides that um, charisma matters personality and hard work mm-hmm. the teams that work the hardest at this they, they'll benefit the most. It's no different than back in the day. There were five breakfast televisions, Jim, across Canada, and Lorraine would have us do every one. So if we went to a, a bond spiel in Vancouver, I'd fly a day early. I'd go and, and hit breakfast television always and then hit uh, the morning news on the various channels. I hit the local papers and radio. Right. I'd spend a day doing media, then we'd start the event. Right. And I did that across Canada for many, many years, and it just it's an, it's an advantage if uh, if your team is willing to do that, yeah, because uh, it builds your brand a lot quicker. You know, there's interesting, right? It's 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 totally interesting about sponsorship this day and age. I mean, we're in the podcast, right? There, that's another side of media. This podcast stuff. We have sponsors, as you know. Um, the the great thing for sponsors now with a podcast, for example, is they know exactly how many people are hearing it. They know they can tell you exactly how many. So it's based on downloads. In the old days, Warren. You know, it's like we sponsored these guys. We bought radio. We bought television. The the rating system's kind of archaic. It was always like, uh, well, we're five percent. Okay, yeah. The other thing that's big on the podcast end of things as well, and any sponsorship today, is social media, and that's beginning to have big results for what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rod Paulson's out there every day, into Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and. Uh, that's beginning to pay dividends for us. And that's another big aspect today of any sponsorship. You've got to have strong social media. I did my own podcast and man, oh man, uh, it's just like takes the wind out of you when you got to pick up the phone and go ask someone for money. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh boy, who's pitching it? That's the big thing. Who's, who's, who's selling your show? Who's pitching the Martin curling team? Who's out there pitching it? I think that social media is full-time work. I think it's full-time work. You know, you can't have someone sort of dabbling in it. Yeah, I, I probably misspoke by saying social media. It's actually internet media. There's a lot more to it than social media. Mm-hmm. So because podcasts are part of that uh, internet, internet media. But but that's kind of, to answer the question, I, I, as quick as I possibly could, because that is such a, it's a huge industry. Mm-hmm. You know, the business of curling, oh my goodness. But it comes down to uh, to building your brand. Winning is a great way to do it, but then hard work. I guess it's, you know, and it doesn't matter modern day or not, Jim, 
it was always the hardest right. workers that, right. you know, who, who is always the first on the ice, last off the ice, Wayne Gretzky. Why? I don't know why, but, but, but he ends up being the best. Sidney Crosby, same thing, you know, and, and in curling, you know, that, that's the way it's always been. The, the hardest worker athletes tend to win the most. Right. It's just, it's in their, I guess it's in their DNA to work hard for success. Well, this just in. If you're better, you're going to get more money in sponsorship. Titleist, totally interesting, Warren. Titleist in golf. So, you you know, it's everyone's playing Titleist balls and the hat. And the way they do it, Kevin Warren, is uh, we'll sponsor anyone, anybody, any ability, and we pay you according to how much time you're on air. Uh, okay, let's whip along. Good stuff, Kerry. Uh, that was an excellent, uh, excellent question. Thanks, Kevin, for clearing that up. Uh, what are you hearing? Brought to you by Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, Hearing places us at its center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test. No referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. And I went in for that, so you should do it too. What are we hearing? We're hearing a lot of listeners are confused, not happy with the amount of television uh, streaming coverage. Warren, what's everyone freaking out about? Well, I did a fairly lengthy piece on our Facebook group page a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it explained all this quite well, but I'm reading here practically every day, every time an announcement comes out about an event, great confusion, is this on television, who's televising, is it streamed, I won't pay for streaming, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought we'd just take a minute to kind of do a quick summary with regard to the curling world today, who owns what and what's televised where. So we'll start with Curling Canada and their Season of Champions events. TSN is the broadcast partner for Curling Canada. So all the season champions events, that's Points Bet, Scotty's, Briar, and the men's and women's worlds in Canada, you will find on TSN. Now, the men's and women's worlds in Canada are kind of unique because Curling Canada has an arrangement with the World Federation that they actually own the rights to those two events in Canada and to the men's and women's worlds outside of Canada as far as the Canadian teams are concerned and their rights. So that's a little bit off the norm as to why that's on TSN and why it's part of Curling Canada. Curling Canada also does a fair amount of streaming on all their other events. It's just started in the last year, outside of the ones I have mentioned. So that's most of all the championships, mixed, juniors, U18, etc. The thing about this that I don't like what they've done here is they've put up a paywall. Maybe Kevin and I will talk about this at the end. But putting up paywalls uh, for stream when you're trying to establish a market is probably not the best thing to do, certainly in my opinion. The World Curling Federation... They own the rights to the men's and women's worlds, except in Canada and outside of Canada involving the Canadian team. In Canada, outside of those events, if the WCF was to do anything else in Canada, it's agreement with Curling Canada, but the WCF owns the rights to them. So that event in Kelowna uh, a few weeks ago, that was owned by the WCF and TSN was involved because they made a separate deal with TSN that didn't involve Curling Canada. World Federation also has a streaming company, Recast, and they stream practically all, again, of the WCF major events. Again, there's a paywall to access this stuff, and a lot of people are muttering about accessing the paywall. They've had to pay more than once, etc. Hopefully, this will be straightened out in the next short while. It'll be made a little easier, but that's where all that stuff is. The Grand Slam of Curling is owned totally by Sportsnet. And so all the coverage cut of the Grand Slam you'll find on Sportsnet. That's on linear television coverage and one of their channels starting on Thursday of each of the Grand Slam events and ending on Sunday. The first two days of the Grand Slam, there is no coverage at this point in time. So please don't keep asking, why isn't there or where is it? The provincial associations and all their events, these are all separate deals. They could involve a contract with TSN, Sportsnet, local television station, or streaming. So far, the provincial associations with their events have not put up a paywall. There's a lot of other coverage of the sport out there at this stage. Uh, some is being done on streams that are individual. It's a real variety of what you might find. For the most part, I don't believe any of these other streams at this point have been put up behind a paywall, just the Curling Canada ones and the World Federation ones. So that's it in a nutshell. I don't know, Kevin, if you want to make any comment on any of those things in, in television from your point of view. Well, no, other than, you know, to just stay tuned because things are, it's just a changing, yeah. it's a changing industry so fast. And, uh, 
you know, as far as how things are covered and, and where and where you find them and so on. So, you know, it, over the next year, it'll change a bit and so on, so on. But, uh, you know, from, from, you know, where I live with uh, the Grand Slams, it's, uh, it, that's a very stable <laughs> ownership group that it's on television. You said, you know, exactly where to see it, you know, that, but it doesn't start till Thursday morning, to your point, Warren. It's not on. The Wednesday games aren't on. It starts Thursday and Sunday. Do you guys ever get curious about, uh, as you mentioned, Kev, the forever changing uh, uh, arena, uh, you know, for this stuff, what it'll be like in 20 years from now, you know, to try and predict where this whole internet thing is going to go and, and television or 30 years or tomorrow. Yeah, it changes all the time. So good stuff. Another show in the books. Thanks a lot to Matt Dunstone, and thank you uh, to all you good listeners uh, for tuning in each and every week. Thanks for your emails, insidecurling at gmail.com. Thanks a lot to Rod. We had mentioned him earlier in the show. who looks after all our social media and Facebook and Facebook group and page. And Warren, of course, uh, responds to a lot of that stuff. So if you haven't joined, why don't you tune in? Okay, big thank you to Jackpot City, Coyote Tractor, Hearing Life, and Goldline who make Inside Curling possible. Boys, back to doing what you're doing. Okay, 28. We'll see you next week, everybody, in four. 28 and four. Two numbers of our uh, World Curling Hall of Famers. Take it easy, boys. (laughs) Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.